This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, September 13th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, smart moves forward with Nucla Natarita expansion. G is for government previews Telluride Town Council. It's time for Bear Aware and a mountain weather forecast. But first... On Monday afternoon, San Miguel County Sheriff deputies responded to a welfare check call in the Deep Creek area. According to the sheriff's office, upon arrival, deputies found a deceased woman in a vehicle parked at the Deep Creek trailhead. Officials are yet to make a positive identification, but believe her to be a missing local woman. The county will confirm identification and investigate the cause and manner of death. In a separate incident over the weekend, San Miguel County Sheriff Deputies Search and Rescue and Dolores County Search and Rescue conducted a mission to rescue a 35-year-old Durango man who got lost while hiking El Diante. According to the sheriff's office, responders contacted the man by phone on Sunday evening. He stated he was cliffed out, uninjured, and well-prepared for the backcountry. Responders shared with him a rescue plan, and he spent the night in the field. On Monday morning, Colorado Highland helicopters flew rescuers to the area, located the man on the south-facing slope of El Diante at approximately 13,600 feet. He was flown back to the Telluride airport. The San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation will expand service to Nucla and Natarita later this year. The Smart Board of Directors approved the expansion, which had been pushed back due to the pandemic, at their monthly meeting last week. Executive Director David Averill says the transit body has been looking at several indicators to decide when to move forward with the postponed expansion. The first is economic indicators. We look at sales tax as a barometer there. Um, that the, good, the good news there is that sales tax is tracking very well through August. We've actually hit our budget number for the year in July. Demand, Averill notes, has also shot back up. Our lion eyes aren't going to deceive us, right? The town has been super crazy. Um, I have to think that, you know, a lot of that is tourists coming into town, day trippers and whatnot, but also our commuting our, our local workforce is back to more of a regular commuting pattern than they were even like three or four months ago. Next, capacity constraints due to COVID. That's a bit shakier. Currently, Averill explains, there are none, just a mask mandate on buses. But my sense is that, you know, if we continued on this trend that we're seeing um, with the Delta variant and the jump in case numbers and things like that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the capacity Conversation came back up again, but it's not taking place quite yet. Given all the considerations, Averill suggests rolling out the expansion after the fall off-season. The board supports the decision. Here's Vice Chair Joe Dillsworth and Chair Chris Holstrom. Pending any dramatic changes in capacity limitations, uh, we we should go for it. I'd support starting at the end of off-season just because I think right now with a mask mandate, if we tried to do something right now, we might get a fair bit of pushback from the far west end. Averill says they will move forward with the expansion into Nucla and Natarita at the end of the fall offseason. Smart has not yet released a schedule for the route, but they anticipate implementing a morning and evening service that would be an extension of the Norwood route. The board also agreed to turn bus fares back on starting January 1, 2022. Buses have been operating fare-free since the start of the pandemic.
Telluride's Tuesday Town Council meeting is chock full. It's budgeting season and time for annual reviews. In this installment of G is for Government, Council Member Geneva Shawnette shares what to expect. Hey Geneva, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat for another installment of G is for Government. Absolutely, let's do it. So Telluride Town Council is back for its regularly scheduled uh, meeting on Tuesday, and the day is kind of be split with some work sessions in the morning and then picking them back up in the afternoon. Can you start with what the work sessions are going to look like in the morning? Yeah, so first we're going to have um, a discussion on potentially increasing the budget that we give towards CASE, which is our arts and special events and community support budget. Um, hasn't had an increase in a couple years, and they are requesting some more money for next year, so that we're going to start with that. Then we're going to hear from a presentation from the gondola subcommittee about sort of the future of the gondola, planning, budgeting, that kind of thing. Um, after that, at 1045, we're going to have a work session on amendments related to short-term rental business license regulations. Um, so this category is not directly related to the citizen initiative to cap short-term rental licenses or the alternative citizen proposed ordinance um, to increase business license fees. Uh, but this is more of a discussion regarding the nuts and bolts of how short-term rental business licenses work. We had a, a THA subcommittee meeting where we discussed some of these ideas and are kicked the, the, these recommendations to discuss up to town council. And we're going to be evaluating what some other communities do for regulating STRs, um, how they work. Some ideas range from uh, having stricter penalties to violations that may end up with the business license owner losing their business license if they have too many violations, to potentially limiting investment property short-term rental licenses to one per person or one per, you know, including LLCs in that and preventing people from just owning SDR licenses under multiple LLCs. Um, this is just going to be a work session. We won't be making any decisions. Got it. And that wraps up the morning, the first half of the day. And then when you come back after lunch, we bounce back to some work sessions that are pretty big for the town of Telluride. What are those ones looking at? Yeah, absolutely. It's budget season. So um, this is the time of year where we go over what our goals and objectives are for the following year and hear from all of, the, of our department heads about requests for any budget increases or adjustments um, for the year 2022. So first, we will finish our goals and objectives discussion, which we began last meeting. Um, and once we are wrapped up with that topic, we will move into the general fund fees and revenue estimates. So this is some of the really uh, tedious and specific data analysis, um, sort of guessing what sales tax is going to look like next year, figuring out what each department needs to keep operating, um, and see if there's any adjustments to fees that we want to make for the following year. Um, this is the first in a series of budget discussions. We're also going to be having a budget meeting on Thursday, uh, September 16th from 9 a.m. to noon, where we will be discussing the capital fund, um, which is RET, which is how the real estate transfer tax is funneled into our, um, our budget. So 
folks who are interested in how we spend real estate transfer tax dollars should tune in on Thursday. Um, and then in the afternoon, we have some, or after that, we have some administrative reports. Um, we have our HARC annual report. Uh, we have an update from Mr. Rude, our public works um, director, about the wastewater treatment plant construction update. And then we'll be hearing from Eco Action Partners as well about um, their progress for this year. So lots of stuff going on in the meeting. Um, I highly encourage everybody to tune in. We definitely will. Um, Geneva, thanks so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Thanks so much, Julia. See you tomorrow. The days are getting shorter, the air is crisp, the leaves are starting to turn, and the bears are hungry. They're starting to look for more food sources. They're coming down the mountains. Uh, a lot of times, you know, those food sources in uh, higher elevations, as it starts getting a little bit colder, um, you know, there's not as many berries or, or fruit up high for them to, to eat. That's John Livingston, public information officer at Colorado Parks and Wildlife. They start pushing more and more into urban areas, um, you know, where, where people are living and working as they're looking to add on and pack on the pounds before winter. The bears are are in a phase called hyperphagia, trying to store up before hibernation in the winter. Livingston notes bears can spend up to 20 hours per day trying to eat over 20,000 calories. That means human-bear encounters are also likely to go up. And CPW urges caution. Really, one of the biggest things that we always ask is that people, you know, bring out, you know, only take out their trash cans on trash day. Make sure they bring them back in, uh, you know, at, uh, when it gets dark. And just make sure they're, you know, uh, bear-proofing their homes for all those outside food sources to really try to mitigate um, and lessen those uh, instances of bear and human conflict. That includes bringing in bird feeders. If you're having a barbecue, make sure you clean your grill, burn off all, um, you know, any of the, the food that, that drips down in, in the grill when you're having your barbecue and clean it after every use. If you're out hiking, carry your bear spray. Hopefully you don't ever need to use it, but it's always best to have it. And as developed continues to increase at the Wadland Urban Interface, Livingston says we should prepare for more encounters. You know, as more and more people are, you know, building homes into areas that are typically occupied by bears, um, there's just going to be more interactions with, with humans and bears. He says last year there were more than 70 calls to CPW regarding bears in San Miguel County alone. Livingston encourages everyone to take the simple steps to keep bear aware and safe. Make sure you're doing whatever you can to, to help them, you know, thrive in, a, in our wilderness as well. Telluride's Bear Awareness Week kicked off on Monday and continues through the week with different events around town, encouraging a healthy and safe relationship with our Ursus Americanus neighbors. Housing is clearly front of mind for the region. The towns of Telluride, Mountain Village, and Norwood all have affordable housing projects or initiatives in the work. And at the county level, eyes are turning to possible solutions. At a San Miguel County Planning Commission meeting last week, commissioners brainstormed ideas. The first comes straight from the Board of County Commissioners itself. They are specifically asking for an affordable housing zone, and one of the comments that came up um, that I heard was that built that potentially the, the idea that building workforce housing would be a use by right, uh, as opposed to going through 
you know, a PUD or a subdivision or something like that. So how do we take away some of the barriers from our land use codes? That's Amy Markwell, attorney for San Miguel County. She notes there are a number of requirements that will need to stay in place, like access to water. But what are other barriers in our code that we can eliminate um, that still maintains health, safety and welfare, um, but also encourages or 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 may sweeten the deal for people who do want to develop um, workforce housing. Lee Taylor, chair of the Planning Commission, also suggests using affordable housing funds as incentive money rather than project-based. I wonder if there's a way to use funds to uh, soften the blow of a less-than-ideal deal for developers in order to get more um, affordable housing, workforce housing um, built um, if we use it as seed money rather than as as trying to build a project money. And commission member Jocelyn Lifton-Zoline hopes the county can help serve as a conduit between developers and governments. Maybe one idea I had was that the county could help facilitate kind of like a coming together of people anywhere in the county who have small or large parcels of land that might be developable and call in different developers who might be willing to come and look at the parcels and see whether they think it's doable. And the county could be the facilitator to kind of bring those parties together to take a look at different parcels. The San Miguel Board of County Commissioners will continue to discuss housing initiatives on the county level. The Planning Commission intends to further the discussion at its meeting on Wednesday, October 20th. A portion of the historic rail grade on the valley floor will temporarily close this week as the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency continues mine-tailing removal and mitigation in the area. The closure will run from Boomerang Road on the west to the river crossing on the east. Recreators in the area will be diverted to the river trail. The trail reroute is scheduled to go into effect on Wednesday, September 15th. It will be in place for approximately one week. Those traveling across Red Mountain Pass on Highway 550 will experience lengthy road closures in the coming weeks. According to the Colorado Department of Transportation, the San Miguel Power Association is clearing timber to prepare for a power line reconstruction project. CDOT notes the project will take place on the north side of the pass. However, the larger closure is necessary to allow for safe helicopter operations above the highway. CDOT says travelers can expect two four-hour closures during weekday mornings and afternoons. The closures will take place just south of Yure at mile marker 92 and near Engineer Mountain Trail at mile marker 89 on the north end. From September 13th to 16th and September 20th to 24th, the pass will be closed from 8.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. and 1.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. On Friday, September 17th, it will be closed from 8.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. The highway will remain open overnight and on weekends. Governor Jared Polis has outlined how the state will roll out coronavirus booster shots to the general public as soon as next week. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. State leaders expect the Food and Drug Administration will greenlight boosters for the Pfizer vaccine first. 
Polis says third-dose clinics will immediately be set up at nursing homes. He also estimates Colorado will have enough vaccine to give the booster shots to anyone who got a Pfizer shot at least six months ago. But it might not be at your local doctor, your local pharmacy. It might be, you know, the next town over, two towns over. Uh, But that will end after a week or two of that initial rush. Some scientists are saying there is not enough evidence to support offering boosters to the general public yet. When asked about those concerns, Polis said FDA employees who tried to delay the booster, quote, have blood on their hands. He says studies show they safely increase protection against the virus, especially among the elderly. I'm Scott Franz. In a survey from 2019, one in 10 Coloradans reported they felt like they weren't getting enough food. This problem, food insecurity, stems from individuals not having enough money to feed themselves or their families. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Tay Glass looks at food insecurity in the Four Corners region, and one potential solution that might already be in your backyard. Joe Hannell works for Colorado Health Institute. He's also a big believer in raising and sourcing his own food. I'm sorry if my I have a lot of animals here. <laughs> and they're squeaking in it out. If, if you're, you're hearing a cat and there's, there are chickens outside, we have, I think we're up to 14 chickens now. Food insecurity is a problem statewide, but especially in the Four Corners region. 16% of respondents answered that they ate less than they thought they should because there wasn't enough money for food in the past 12 months. Um, that is way higher than the state average of 10%. According to Hanel and the report from the Colorado Health Institute, housing instability, low wages, food insecurity, all these issues are intricately connected. And it actually is more of a widespread problem in rural areas than urban areas, which is it kind of has a, a cruel irony to it when you think that rural areas are the breadbasket, that's where our food is raised. Rachel Landis is the director of the Good Food Collective, a nonprofit organization based out of Durango. They started fruit gleaning three years ago, which basically means harvesting leftover produce in backyards and orchards and redistributing it to folks in need. Honestly, what food banks and food pantries are always asking for is like they just don't have enough fresh fruit and veggies, which is what their clients and customers really, really want. Last year, they were able to harvest more than 20,000 pounds of fruit by gleaning. I don't even understand what that quantity of food looks like. <laughs> I, I'm like, what would you fill? Um, well, I feel like the back of a pickup, if we were to fill that just straight up with fruit, that's like 2,000 pounds. Um, it's like, like 10 some, pickup trucks? Yeah, something like that. Based on their success in La Plata, the Good Food Collective hired a new gleaning coordinator from Montezuma County. Ashley Lancaster. She started just a couple weeks ago. This will be the first full season of gleaning in Montezuma County. Lancaster herself lives on a farm. So this is my family orchard here. Excuse our dogs. They think we're going for a walk. Um, And it usually produces more than enough fruit that we need for my family for the year. The excess fruit and vegetables from her garden inspired Lancaster to take on this gleaning project. I see trees all over and hopefully after this conversation, people will be out watching and and seeing trees and be like, oh, 
well, maybe I should go let my neighbor know about this. Lancaster and volunteers for the Good Food Collective sort the fruit after harvesting it. Lower quality produce is used for pigs and livestock feed. The high quality stuff is saved for people. Healthier diets that include nutrient-dense foods like fruit and vegetables are more expensive than less healthy alternatives. You don't pay for the calories so much as you pay for the nutrition. I love being able to go and get fresh, fresh food to give to those that, are, you know, might be struggling a little bit right now with, with, you know, with the COVID or with, you know, just finding work in general. Time and time again, sources spoke about how important programs like fruit gleaning can be to those in need. But Joe Hanel from the Colorado Health Institute and others said that fruit gleaning alone won't solve the wider food security issues in the state. Rates of food insecurity are higher for young adults, people with less income, rural communities, and communities of color. I think the main takeaway from our food insecurity uh, report last year was that we live in the land of plenty, and yet there's still a lot of hunger. The ultimate solution is going to be for everyone to be able to have a sustainable living wage. For the time being, there's other people's bountiful harvests and the volunteers raising their hands to glean the leftover fruit. For KSJD and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Tay Glass. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Tuesday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high around 70 and a low in the mid-40s. Wednesday, expect sunny skies with a high near 70 degrees. Wednesday night should be clear with a low around 50. This has been the news for Monday, September 13th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, honey, how was school today? It was all right, I guess. I just feel like everybody's on their phones all the time, so it's been hard to make friends. Oh my God, sorry. <laughs> Somebody just posted the funniest thing on Facebook. You gotta watch it one second. Okay, what were you saying about school? Never mind. It's not a big deal. Don't be that parent. Learn about the impacts of social media, relationships, and alcohol use on your teenagers so you can support them. Join Tri-County Health Network for a conversation with Sydney Pierce to learn how to build social courage in our community at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, September 22nd. Go to tchnetwork.org to register and join the Communities That Care Coalition to help our kids build healthy habits today. Good afternoon. My name is Todd Brown, and I'm on Telluride's Ecology Commission, which is bringing you Telluride's annual Black Bear Awareness Week this week. In cooperation with the Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife, Wilkinson Public Library, Telluride Farmers Market, and the Wild Mountain Puppet Troop. This year, there will be several opportunities for both children and adults to learn about our large, hungry neighbors. And I'm certain, now that the bears have been in and around town for a few weeks, I have your undivided attention. Bears, you say? Yes, bears. Black bears live here, and so do we, and the best way to ensure everyone's safety is for all of us humans to work together to make sure the bears do not become accustomed to getting food from us anywhere in town, anytime. Remember, 
Each August through fall to their hibernation, our black bears enter hyperphagia, where they have to eat about 20,000 calories per day. That means the bears get pretty aggressive about eating and are in town a lot where the pickings can be good. No one wants to kill a bear that has learned bad behaviors, so please, let's all take time this week to learn something new about how to discourage bad black bear habits and also to share our knowledge about how to discourage black bears in town with those who do not have experience with them. A very first step for us humans is to be sure to lock all trash containers, whether they're yours or not. Thank you for listening, and thank Kodo for providing this venue for us to reach out. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.